our next master is Short Bull, who was a Lakota holy man, one of the uh, prophets of the ghost dance religion. Um, Wavoka was the actual prophet of the ghost dance. Short Bull was one of the one of the uh, recipients of that uh, vision. One of the delegates chosen by the Lakota to visit with the Wavoka, Northern Paiute. And um, so he claimed that, um, Wavoka had claimed that he had been taken into the spirit world and saw all Native American beings taken up into the sky and the earth opening up to swallow all the white people and to revert back to its natural state. The Native Americans, along with their ancestors, were put back upon the earth to live in peace. And he also knew that he was shown that by dancing the round dance continuously, the dream would become a reality and the participants would enjoy the new earth. And the ghost dance became something that was spread far and wide. It led to the Wounded Knee Massacre because the white men were so afraid of it. Um, but Short Bull was one of the holy men of the ghost dance religion. Wavoka was the original prophet of it. And um, uh, you know, Short Bull, his teachings followed a previous Paiute tradition predicting a renaissance within the Paiute people as well. He, uh, the Paiutes actually followed uh, some teachings that were pretty similar to Christian doctrines. Um, Wavoka had told people to remain peaceful and keep the reason for the dancing, the ghost dancing, secret from the whites, but it, it did spread quickly and the white people did hear about it and they, they kind of obviously overreacted and it turned into a really horrible moment in American history. And, um, you know, the ghost dance and the ghost dance songs have been forever marked by those events. But that's who Short Bull was. So one of our great um, masters, White Buffalo Calf Woman, again next. The legend of the white buffalo calf woman tells how the people had lost the ability to communicate with the creator. The creator sent the sacred white buffalo calf woman to teach the people how to pray with the pipe. <clears throat> and with that pipe, seven sacred ceremonies were given for the people to abide in order to ensure a future with harmony, peace, and balance. So the legend basically tells that two young men were sent out to meet with white buffalo calf woman. And one of them immediately recognized that she was a Wakan, which is a holy woman. And he uh, approached her with reverence and awe. But the other one saw her with lust. And as a result, he was immediately re you know, reduced to skin, bone, and then dust. And and then White Buffalo Calf Woman took the one man who had seen her as the Wakan and they went to the people to give to the people the gift of the sacred pipe and all of the sacred ceremonies. And so White Buffalo Calf Woman um, is really like almost like a holy mother of the Native American people, um, very important in the Native traditions. And, um, and then you're going to see an actual image there of who we just spoke about, Wavoka, the Paiute prophet of the ghost dance. And some of the things that he said, um, some of his, the sayings that he was known for, um, he said, when the sun died, I went up to heaven and saw God and all the people who had died a long time ago. And he said, do right always. 
the Baldwin twins were um, the keeper of the sacred arrows of the Cheyenne. And they would say, not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. And Tenkwatawa was a mystic. And this is one of the things he was known for saying. My name is Tenskwatawa, he who opens the door. I have been shown how to open the door that has shut us out from happiness. I died and went to the world above and saw it. I had done every sin against my people and myself. And he came back a changed man and became a prophet to his people. And then we have Amaha. She was a Kiowa Taimai keeper from 1894 to 1939. Power symbol for the Sundance. Known for saying, thank you, God, for your help. I cried out in desperation, and you have helped me. You know, a lot of these people, even though they're more recent, it's unfortunate, you know, have a lot of history on their words but they're great masters. Swimmer was a Cherokee priest. And ironically, he was called Swimmer. You don't wanna guess, Brian? Is he, he was a good runner? No, he's called Swimmer because he would swim through the ethers. He was an astral traveler. <laughs> oh, okay. So that's why he was called Swimmer. So, <clears throat> So, and ironically, um, they, would, they would consider, they called people who traveled out of body swimmers. Oh, wow. Because, yeah, that was the name they used for it. First off, the, the photograph of swimmer is intense. Isn't I have to relook. Yeah. Well, I have to relook then, because, you know, I, it was a couple of days ago that I looked at him. I have to... and, and secondly, the thing about space is it is more water-like than it is air-like. That's right. Yeah, when you're in the mystical spheres and the ethers, that is exactly the way it is. Yes, here's Swimmer. Yes. Swimming around. And, you know, so he ended up becoming like the, he became the, the doctor, the priest, and the keeper of the traditions, uh, you know, because he was the swimmer. But, you know, I mean, that's kind of what the tradition of the shamans were. Um, in the sense that they knew how to enter into the spirit worlds. And that was what their gifts were. And so those were some of those things that were important. And, you know, ironically, there are some things online um, about... Um, some of the experiences of the swimmers in the Cherokee tradition, you can look them up if you're interested in it. There's some uh, accountings that have been kept for posterity. Not a lot, but a little bit is available. But I think it's fascinating that they spoke of the out-of-body travelers as swimmers. And once someone became adept at it, they were called a swimmer. It was just that simple. You know how it's such a big deal to say, do you out of body travel? It's like, back then it was like, no, oh, he's a swimmer. He's good. <laughs> you know? But you see, we forget how none of this is new. It's all old as time. You know? <laughs> that's, that's what we're going to do next week. We're going to do the, the session on how to be a swimmer. Cool. Yeah, that's right. We are. We're going to yeah. be doing it. <laughs> Their next master is Ruby Manette Modesto. She was a Kahula medicine woman. And she said, Grandfather Francisco taught me how to pray to Umnaha, our creator. He told me to go alone into the mountains to find a quiet, beautiful place to pray he said I should talk out everything, say whatever I felt or needed, and then listen for an answer. That's the secret, to listen. 
You have to say everything that's in your mind, cry until you're empty, then listen. He will speak to you. And we have Julie Plenty Wolf. She was a Lakota Sioux medicine woman from the Sundance tradition. She said, tell me and I'll forget. Show me, I may not remember. Involve me and I'll understand. Handsome Lake was an Allegheny Seneca prophet. He's a preacher in the longhouse. Brother, our seats were once large and yours were small. You have now become a great people and we have scarcely a place left to spread our blankets. You have got our country but are not satisfied. You want to force your religion upon us. Brother, you say that you are sent to instruct us on how to worship the great spirit agreeably to his mind. And if we do not take hold of the religion which you white people teach, we will be unhappy hereafter. You say that you are right and we are lost. How do we know this to be true? We understand that your religion is written in a book. If it was intended for us as well as you, why has not the great spirit given it to us? Why did he not give it to our forefathers, the knowledge of that book with the means of understanding it right? How shall we know when to believe being so often deceived by the white people? You say there is but one way to worship and serve the great spirit. If there is but one religion, why do you white people differ so much about it? Why are not all agreed as you can all read the book? We are told that your religion was given to your forefathers and has been handed down from father to son. We also have a religion which was given to our forefathers and has been handed down to us, their children, to be thankful for all the favors we receive, to love each other and to be united. We never quarrel about religion. The great spirit has made us all, but he has made a great difference between his white and red children. He has given us different complexions and different customs. Since he has made so great a difference between us and other things, why may we not conclude that he has given us a different religion according to our understanding? We do not wish to destroy your religion or take it from you. We only want to enjoy our own. We are told that you have been preaching to the white people in this place. These people are our neighbors. We will wait a little while and see what effect your preaching has upon them. If we find it does them good, makes them honest and less disposed to cheat Indians, we will then consider again of what you have said. Wow. That's some wisdom right there. It kind of sums it all up. Doesn't it? Mm -hmm. And how many of us have even heard of Handsome Lake? You know? And then there's Lakota Sioux woman, ghost dancer, fallen into the spirit world. They told the people they could dance a new world into being. There would be landslides, earthquakes, and big winds. Hills would pile up on each other. The earth would roll up like a carpet with all the white man's ugly things. The stinking new animals, sheep and pigs, the fences, the telegraph poles, the mines and factories, Underneath would be the wonderful old world as it had been before the white fat takers came. The white men would, will be rolled up, disappear, go back to their own continent. But they did not. Kind of makes us feel a little low self-esteem, but that's okay. We deserve it. I guess. <laughs> Then there's Mrs. Bad Warrior, holder of the Lakota Sioux Sacred Calf Pipe Bundle. This is from the current holder, Chief Arvold Looking Horse. She said this in 2016. Know that you yourself are essential to this world. Understand both the blessing and the burden of that. You yourself are desperately needed to save the soul of this world. 
Did you think you were put here for something less? In a sacred hoop of life, there is no beginning and no ending. I think that's the premise for the Matrix movie. Basically. Oh, is it? We're all Neo. Okay, well, I haven't yeah. watched it. So you haven't seen the Matrix? I have not. Okay, that's cool. <laughs> I might see it sometime. Well, Neo, Neo. Because everyone keeps telling me to do it. Neo's <laughs> play on one, right? One Neo. <laughs> He's the one that came here and he can do what she just said. Here to help save the soul of the earth. Okay. I believe you. Okay. <laughs> Our next master is Mount Wolf Woman Winnebago Peyota Medicine Woman, sister of Crashing Thunder. What was interesting about Mountain Wolf Woman, she was brought up in a traditional tribal religion, was forced into an arranged marriage, but she left that arranged marriage and married the man she wanted to marry later on and kind of told everyone else, stick it where the sun don't shine. <laughs> so <clears throat> that's probably why they called her crash, the sister of crashing thunder, I guess. <laughs> and then we have Pakya, the nephew of the religious leader Smohala. He was known for saying, all creation is capable of having a spirit and is therefore deserving of respect. And Pretty Shield. Ah, oh, my heart fell down when I began to see dead buffalo scattered all over our beautiful country, killed and skinned and left to rot by white men many, many hundreds of buffalo. The Indian never hurts anything, but the white people destroy all. A brave man is seldom unkind. That was pretty shield. And here's an interesting twist on things from Brave Eagle Woman of Lakota Sioux. She was actually known for chastising her own tribal members for their brutality towards the whites. So she said, shame on you cowards to come here, 5,000 of you to slaughter a half dozen white men. And you come here for what reason? You have been killing their cattle right along, day after day, and not one of them has said anything to you about the loss. And then when you shoot one of your own people, you come here to kill a white man for it? You are not brave to come here to kill a half dozen white men. Imagine the bravery of brave eagle woman in her time to speak out like that. But then of course we now enter the realms of the legendary with starting out with black elk of the Oglala Sioux. Legendary black elk who said, sometimes dreams are wiser than waking. There can never be peace between nations until there is first known that true peace, which is within the souls of men. I cured with the power that came through me. Sometimes these quotes are taken a little out of context, so they're not always totally, you know, totally phonetically correct. And then of course we have another uh, legendary chief, Joseph of the Nez Pierce, very close to me because I wrote about my experiences with him in Medicine Woman Within a Dream. Hear me my chiefs, I am tired, my heart is sick and sad. From where the sun now stands, I will fight no more forever. And he also said, 
It does not require many words to speak the truth. I, I was in, um, what was I, Traverse City, Michigan. I was there for work and I was on one of those jobs where I could just listen to stuff for 12 hours a day or whatever. And so I was really being hit with um, Native American tribal people. And so I was just watching everything I could and just, I don't know, I was taking a hundred pages of notes. And, and so I came across like all of these leaders from different uh, tribal nations and they were talking to the UN. And I remember one of the tribal leaders just saying, um, you know, we have children and we do not want them to die. As you have children and you do not want them to die. And just speaking about how, you know, can we work together? How can we coexist together so that, you know, we're not being killed, yes. not being killed. And Traverse City, or, you know, I mean, not to point out that, but anywhere in Michigan, just the way that they took, um, the children from the tribes and then they they had to go into they had to give up everything they knew they had to um be acculturated into society the way that we wanted them to be i mean even up until you know not too long ago so i was reading this book the soul of the indian and just how this was known always the u.s um, or you know north america is this beautiful spiritual land filled with you know a couple hundred million maybe more of of natives and you know just lush and buffalo and so you know it was known it was here it wasn't like oh it's a secret or you know somebody showed up in 1492 and was like what's this you know they, they know about <laughs> this right so it's just um the fact that because we're talking about all these masters and really what it comes down to it is kind of to get back to where many of these um, very spiritual beings who were still connected to the spirit were. And so it's, it's almost like trying to re remember what that was like. And so these masters can you know, hopefully help us, help us to uh, get you know, back to that place. Yeah, for sure. Well, the next master is an African priest, Ashton Mary. <coughs> and I have a quote from a modern African priest by the name of Marcus Garvey. He says, a people without the knowledge of their past history, origin, and culture is like a tree without roots. You know, Africa reminds me a lot of North America in the yeah. same way. And there's this Zulu shaman named Credo Mutwa. I don't know if you heard of him, but he's like a wisdom keeper. I was on my way to go see him a couple of years ago, but just didn't, wasn't supposed to be in the physical realm. I'm supposed to meet him. But um, so he's like a wisdom keeper of Africa. And so he just died like 10 months ago. He was like 95 or something. Wow. But he said, uh, there's two minds, the mother mind and the warrior mind. The warrior mind is logical, like, two plus two equals four. And the mother mind is, doesn't just think straight. It thinks sideways, up and down. And he went on to say, no longer look at a tree as a tree, but a living entity like myself. I no longer look at a stone as a stone, but I see the future in that stone. We must think like grandmothers. Yes. I like that. I like that very much. The next master is the first Aboriginal priest, Father Pat Dodson. He said, leadership is an elusive concept, hard to describe and impossible to prescribe, it is more evident in its absence so that when leadership is needed, its lack is sorely felt. I was looking up some Aboriginal sayings or 
just looking into it. And so my son's name is Rowan. So I found this uh, Rowan walking wolf. Okay. So, okay. And uh, Rowan walking wolf said, there's nothing but the spirit of life in the beginning. And then the dreaming began. Liking it. And so that's when they started to first dream about the elements, you know, individually, and then the rest of chronologically into dreaming the world into being. So this, of course, is Australian Aboriginal. I love it. That's cool. That's very cool. A dream well, time. now we're entering into Islam and Muhammad. So Muhammad is the next master. And... Did you know there's 1.8 billion Muslims? I did not. <laughs> That's quite a few. <laughs> that is a Abraham, lot of Muslims. Abraham, good job. Like 2.3 yeah, million Christians, 1.8 million Muslims. Lots of people of the book. That's for sure. And he said, kindness is a mark of faith. And whoever has not kindness has not faith. That's an important quote from Muhammad. Today's world. <laughs> so Muhammad was um, one of them. Like um, illiterate, right? And then he's, um, he went to the cave, yeah. got mm -hmm. all the info, and all of a sudden uh, this amazing poetic work. Yeah, he supposedly received it from Saint uh, from Saint Gabriel, the archangel. That's the story. Um, and um, here's another thing from Muhammad. Four things support the world, the learning of the wise, the justice of the great, the prayers of the good, and the valor of the brave. And here's a really good one as well. Um, and I love these because these, in my view, um, speak to a lot of things they speak to a lot of things so they they um they show us the intention of is the, the true intention of islam and they show us the error of anyone who uh, tries to commit violence in the name of it none of you truly believes until he wishes for his brother what he wishes for himself these are all from Muhammad. You know, we have in the, in the book at the feet of the masters, there's again another series of these pictures that are, you know, like we had with Zarathustra, the newborn Muhammad in his mother's arms and Muhammad, Muhammad praying at the Kaaba, Muhammad with the angel, Muhammad's head engulfed in sacred fire, Muhammad receiving visions, preaching, cleansing the Kaaba of idolatry, and Muhammad with the first four caliphs. So those are all um, very cool um, ancient drawings that are still available to us. And our next master is a caliph, Muhammad ibn Musa al-Khwar. When I consider what people generally want in calculating, I found that it, it always is a number I also observed that every number is composed of units and that any number may be divided into units. And another caliph, Abu al-Rayham al-Biruni, once a sage asked why scholars always flock to the doors of the rich, whilst the rich are not inclined to call at the doors of scholars, the scholars, he answered, are well aware of the use of money, but the rich are ignorant of the nobility of science. <laughs> My first Muslim country that I went to was Egypt and very devout people. And they, you know, of course they pray throughout the day and you can hear it over loudspeakers and they start at like four in the morning. But just super kind to me the whole time, courteous, just, I don't know. I thought they're uh, pretty, pretty great people. I think I think that the majority of Muslims probably are very good people, and um, 
I think terrorism is a different entity. Yeah, and that and, can, yeah. But that can but, be with any, anyone really. It absolutely think, can be. And there's radicals and critics, I mean, in, in life, in the world, so. There's, yeah, in life. Um, and then there's some images of Muhammad's death, Muhammad's heart being purified by an angel, Muhammad ascending to heaven and enthroned in heaven with angels in attendance. And um, just to make some clarification on that point, you know, when you look at the Hadith of Muhammad, Muhammad was a violent man. You know, he did participate in beheadings. He's the one who started the whole thing um, and ordered those things. And he participated in warring against these other tribes. And that is one of the differences that we see with Muhammad and some of our other masters. So we'll just take note of that. Okay. You know, it is definitely well, the Christians that were kind of known for crusades and the Christians were, but okay. Jesus Christ was not. Oh, right. So you want to you want to prophets, okay. saints, mystics, and sages. What we're speaking about here at the feet of the masters, and so, you know, in the actual history of Islam and the actual life and history of Muhammad is very different than the life of Christ, the sure. life of the Buddha, both of which were very ascetical lives, different lives, the life of Krishna, very different lives than the life led by Muhammad. And so maybe, I just want to be maybe not, that. Maybe not St. Paul, though. St. Paul was pretty radical. Yeah. <laughs> he like, didn't he like, you know, crucify or kill a whole bunch of... It was stoning. 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 Oh, that's not so bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. he was involved in the stoning of St. Stephen, who's the first Christian martyr. And then he was involved in a lot of uh, the first Christian martyrs before his conversion. And so, yeah, he was, he was viewed with terror by the Christians of his day. And so when he first underwent his conversion people were terrified and weren't sure whether or not they should trust him or trust the uh, conversion you know and and, and Milarepa, sense why they felt that way you know and Milarepa when his father died then the uncle kind of took over and abused him his sister and his mom until he left and mm -hmm. then he came back with the cold powers and, and had a hailstorm at the uncle's um son's wedding and killed 85 people so goes the lore um, yeah yeah the Milarepa lore was pretty pretty uh pretty scary lore i have to say it's pretty uh shocking actually you know yeah so you know Milarepa had a pretty so that's a very good point because yes the Milarepa is among some of the masters here in the case of Milarepa, the case of St. Paul, post-conversion, when they followed the way, um, they became peace-loving people. Whereas in the case with Muhammad, I'm not going to make a comment on it. I'm not a historian or an archaeologist. The times in Arabia were unusual. Um, I'm not going to make the uh, judgment on that, but I do think it's something that does need to be noted. And there might be more to the story of Muhammad that I'm not aware of as well. And then the next master picture we have is a Muslim man observing the Dual Hiljah, the Kazuf, also known as the standing by praying near the rocks of Jabal al-Rama. And in, in, it is a traditional social and legal custom to say takbir, and I apologize for this because I do have to kind of read this because I'm not that familiar with it. I had to put this together for this one. I don't know. Um, to say takbir, which is Allahu, Allahu Akbar, which means God is creator. The tahmid, which is alhamdulillah, praise be to God. And the talil, which is la ilala ilala. There is no deity but God, and I apologize for my translations. Um, and Tazbi, which is Subhanallah, glorified is God. 
during the first 10 days of dual hijab. Muslims should say takbir loudly in the mosque, the home, the street, and every place where it is permissible to remember Allah. So this uh, prayer known as the standing is um, a pretty significant um, devotion that, that we see in this Muslim man observing it as the do al-hijjah. Hopefully I got that close. And the next one is a Sufi crossing the water on a prayer mat. And I have a quotation from Kamand Kojuri, who is a Sufi. You have no choice. You must leave your ego on the doorstep before you enter love. And, you know, it is a lesser known fact that Baha'uddin was the father of Rumi. And Baha'uddin was also a mystical poet. You can actually get his writings. They've been compiled and stuff. You can actually read them. And so this is from the Ways of Essence by Baha'uddin, the, the father of Rumi. Now I will observe the nature of this being alive and the different ways we are. Essence can be known only in a living example. People are often dazzled by form because essence shines so in its qualities. Feelings of health and feelings of illness are not part of my meaning here. The green world, new friendships, discoveries, circumstances, the feel of water, our delight in the human body and its imaginings, these are areas where essence thrives. How we recognize anyone's presence, how people's lives register in the body, how soul goes to its guidance and agrees to the work it's given, try to be more conscious of these living abilities and be happy. That's Baha'uddin, the father of Rumi. <laughs> uh, and Rumi, don't grieve. Anything you lose comes round in another form. <laughs> Rumi is amazing. We, we could like just do a whole thing on him for like five Absolutely, hours. Absolutely, we could. Um, another thing he would say would be stop acting so small. You are the universe in ecstatic motion. And um, Shams Tabrizi was Rumi's master. Um, another not, not as well-known fact. And this is something he would say. It is never too late to ask yourself, am I ready to change my life? Am I ready to change myself? However old we are, whatever we went through, it is always possible to be reborn. If each day is a copy of the last one, what a pity. Every breath is a chance to be reborn. But to be reborn into a new life, you have to die before dying. Shams Tabrizi. And then our next master <laughs> is Shams, no, Shams Adame, the first disciple of Rumi. And he was also a martyr, right? And this was, this is not his words. These are Shams Tabrizi's words. Because we have no words of Shem's Adim, but we do have that image, which is pretty cool. The first disciple of Rumi, and he also was martyred. The chemistry of mind is different from the chemistry of love. The mind is careful, suspicious. He advances little by little. He advises, be careful, protect yourself. Whereas love says, let yourself go. The mind is strong, never falls. While love hurts itself, falls into ruins. But isn't it in ruins that we mostly find the treasures? A broken heart hides so many treasures. There's always a silver lining. It kind of goes back to like what you had said earlier. That God doesn't give you what you can't handle. Even like the uh, Native American tribal people, I mean, that was, it was a huge thing that they, they took on, but um, what, what great spirit they must have. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, and, um, you know, right here at, at the feet of the masters, you see an image, an old ancient image of Rumi with his first disciples, which is really cool to be able to, you know, see. And, um, mm -hmm. and then the next image is a Sufi master, Shah Nimatululi. Let me try that again. Just let me try it again, Brian. Good luck. Shah Nimatulahi Wali. I think I got it. Thanks. He said, by your love, ruined hearts are rebuilt. And from your sorrow, miserable souls are made happy. Who can ever become a professor of your love? who was never a student of your sadness. I think that is fascinating. I can tell by your expression. I think you can. Wouldn't <laughs> <laughs> all over your face. <laughs> and then we have another Ropa Bawani Sufi mystic poet. There are times when sorry doesn't come out just because ego in the name of self-respect has taken the place of love and affection. And then we have the whirling dervishes are the next image in our masters. And this is from Kamand Kojuri, the Sufi mystic again saying, one sip of this wine and you will go mad with drunkenness. Let me say that again. One sip of this wine and you will go mad with drunkenness. You will drop your masks and tear your clothes, destroying everything that separates you from the lover. Once you taste the fruit of this vine, you will be kicked out of the city of yourself. You will forget the world. You will forget yourself. I tell you, you will become a madman who wanders the streets looking for the lover once you drink this wine of love. That's Kaman Kojuri talking about the whirling dervishes. When, when you said, take a sip of this wine, I thought you said, take a sip of this wine. Sorry. No, no, because, you know, they're winding around. Right? Ah. Whirling. So I, I thought you said wind. I'm like, Whoa, that's so cool. And then, then you said wine the second time. I'm like, that's still cool. <laughs> you know? Uh, Rumi's got some beautiful stuff. Yes, he does. Is he the uh, most popular poet in the world? He is the most popular poet in the world. Wow. Does that bring us to the last and final master? Not the last master, oh. but the we are in Baha'i. Yeah the Baha'i faith, and we are with Baha'u'llah, who says, do not be content with showing friendship in worlds alone, in words alone. Let me try that again. Okay, I'm going to try it again. So okay. we're, we are in Baha'i, and Baha'u'llah is the founder of the Baha'i faith, and this is what he said. Do not be content with showing friendship in words alone. Let your heart burn with loving kindness for all who may cross your path. Be generous in prosperity and thankful in adversity. Be worthy of the trust of thy neighbor and look upon him with a bright and friendly face. And anyone who reads my books knows that I use a lot of quotes from Baha'u'llah. I love him. And, um, and so he is spread all over my books, but he was born in 1844, I believe. And his son, Abdu'l-Baha, was his successor, and he is our next master. He said, where there is love, nothing is too much trouble, and there is always time. Love the creatures for the sake of God and not for themselves. And Abdu'l-Baha, in later years, you'll see there's two pics of him. And he said, the divine manifestations of God had a universal and all-inclusive conception they endeavored for the sake of everyone's life and engaged in the service of universal education. The area of their aims was not limited, nay, rather it was wide and all-inclusive. And again, about the same subject, he said, the divine religions were founded for the purpose of unifying humanity and establishing universal peace. 
Any movement which brings about peace and agreement in human society is truly a divine movement. Any reform which causes people to come together under the shelter of the same tabernacle is surely animated by heavenly motives. You know, the Baha'i faith um, came into being with that purpose to bring together the line of succession of prophecy and the prophets and revelation and religion from all time until present day. So they they uh, embrace all the previous revelations. So it's pretty neat. I, neat. I, I, I read uh, almost all of the books written by Baha'u'llah and Abdu'l-Baha and a lot by some of these other folks here that I'm going to quote here. So Bahi Kanum is the daughter of Baha'u'llah. And she said, from this hollowed and snow white spot, this blessed heavenly garden, wherefrom the fragrance of God is diffused to all regions. I hail you with salutations, most tender, most wondrous, and most glorious, and impart to you the most joyful tidings. This tiding serves as the sweet smelling savor of his remit to them that long to behold his face. It represents the highest aspiration of his steadfast leaves. It is the animating impulse for the happiness of the world. It is the source of ineffable gladness for the people of Baha, a remedy to the afflicted and refreshing drought for the thirsty. By the righteousness of God, O oh beloved friend, through this glad tiding, the ailing are cured and every moldering bone is quickened. This most joyful tiding is the news of the good health and well-being of the blessed, the exalted, the holy person of Abdu'l-Baha, him whom God hath purposed, may the life of all created things be offered up. And this is another from Abdu'l-Baha later in life. He says, the troubles of this world pass and what we have left is what we have made of our souls. Yogi Effendi, the guardian, he became the guardian. He is the grandson of Baha'u'llah, the son of Abdu'l-Baha. He said, let there be no mistake. The principle of the oneness of mankind, the pivot round which all the teachings of Baha'u'llah revolve, is no mere outburst of ignorant emotionalism or an expression of vague and pious hope. Its appeal is not to be merely identified with a reawakening of the spirit of brotherhood and goodwill among men. Nor does it aim solely at the fostering of harmonious cooperation among individual peoples and nations. Its implications are deeper, its claims greater than any which the prophets of old were allowed to advance. Its message is applicable not only to the individual, but concerns itself primarily with the nature of those essential relationships that must bind all the states and nations as members of one human family. It does not constitute merely the enunciation of an ideal, but stands in that, in, inseparably associated with an institution adequate to embody its truth, demonstrate its validity, and perpetuate its influence. It implies an organic change in the structure of present-day society, a change such as the world has not yet experienced. It represents the consummation of human evolution, an evolution that has had its earliest beginnings in the birth of family life, its subsequent development in the achievement of tribal solidarity, leading in turn to the constitution of the city-state and expanding later into the institution of independent and sovereign nations. One thing to keep in mind was Baha'u'llah was this great mystic, you know, that's one of the reasons I love his writings, but his son and his grandson were much more the people who were bringing together the work for the Baha'i faith. And so finally, 
in at the feet of the masters and concluding the near death and out of body experiences the auspicious births and deaths of the prophet saints mystics and sages in world religions we have tahiri khadiji bagum a baha'i martyr she was the wife of the bab these are the words of the bab regarding her because we have no words from her that are extant and he says O oh, well beloved value highly the grace of the great remembrance for it cometh from god the loved one thou shalt not be a woman like other women if thou obeys god in the cause of truth the greatest truth know thou the great bounty conferred upon thee by the ancient of days and take pride in being the consort of the well beloved who is loved by god the greatest sufficient unto thee is this glory which cometh unto thee from God, the all-wise, the all-praised, be patient in all that God hath ordained concerning the Bob and his family. Verily thy son is with Fatime, Muhammad's daughter, in the sanctified paradise. All of these, of course, the Baha'i faith being a descendant of Islam even though Islam, of course, Islam does not um, recognize the Baha'i faith, but the Baha'i faith sees itself as a descendant of Islam. And so those are our wonderful masters. <laughs> At least the ones that we've uh, spoken of from your book, At the Feet of the Masters. Yes, this one too. Near death and out of body experiences, auspicious births and deaths of the prophets, saints, mystics, and sages. I think you cut yourself off. I said to you, I believe you did. So thank you, Marilyn. I don't know if I'll get you back. And uh, that was great. And I'm going to get this off to you and hope everybody enjoyed this. Just a little peek into some masters, and hopefully um, there's something you'll get from this. And uh, we're out.